0: Welcome to the Faster Podcast by Flow Cycling, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything that makes you faster on your bike. This is Season 1, Episode 1, and today we have Jonathan Lee from Trainer Road joining us on the show. Jonathan is the Communications Director at Trainer Road, a nationally ranked mountain biker and USAC certified coach. Jonathan blends training knowledge with technical expertise to make cyclists faster. Listen to this episode to learn how to use the Trainer Road system to become a faster cyclist. Hey, this is Chris with Flow. When we're not producing this podcast, our team at Flow is designing some of the fastest carbon fiber bicycle wheels in the world. As a thank you for being a listener of our podcast, Faster by Flow, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase of wheels at flowcycling.com. Head over to our website and pick up a set of wheels to make you faster at your next race or ride. Simply use coupon code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, in all uppercase letters when checking out to get 20% off your order. Thanks again for listening to Faster. We hope you enjoy the show. So Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome. How are you doing today? Happy to be here, guys. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing well. We've
1: got a storm finally coming in. Winter's hitting Reno, Nevada. So nice.
0: Oh, wow, Cyclocross
1: that's- Nats left. That's taken care of. Now it's time to actually get to some winter. So,
0: uh, Well, I'm looking forward to skiing too. John, and I actually had to veil next week for a little bit of a trip. So, oh, that should be lucky sweet. Lucky guy. <laughs> I saw, uh, yeah, I saw a picture. It's talking about cyclocross gnats. I am looking mm-hmm. at a picture right now on Instagram of you somehow performing this amazing balancing act in like 12-inch ruts. Oh (laughs) tell me about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so as you know, cross being crossed, there's plenty of sand and this sand the sand section that they had at this race wasn't necessarily like something that you'd see in Belgium or anything else. Uh it wasn't too long and it wasn't too deep. It was probably about eight to eight inches to a foot deep, but, um, yeah, it's a ton of fun. You just, if you just, just like in finding Nemo, if you just keep, instead of just keep swimming, you just keep pedaling, everything ends up working out.
0: So, well, I I like to, (laughs) I like to think I mountain bike and my technical skills are pretty bad. One of my good buddies tells me that I don't really mountain bike. I just ride a mountain bike on dirty roads. So, you know, my technical (laughs) levels after that. Um, so we, we actually got quite a bit to cover today. Um, so I thought we'd basically just get right into it um for those who are listening this is our this is our first podcast and really the the goal of this series as we said is to look at everything that we can do to get faster on a bike and john and i obviously make the products that make that happen but there's a lot of other things that go into making you faster and, Jonathan, as you know, training is one of the huge components behind that. And, you know, the training is what makes our body stronger, makes us more efficient. And that's where, in my opinion, Trainer Road really, really shines. I've been using the product for years. I absolutely love it. And I wanted our listeners to get a good understanding of what it is and even consider it as an option for their training. So I think the first basic question that we can cover, Jonathan, is what is Trainer Road? Give us a, a general overview of what it is.
1: Yeah, our focus is to make you faster. We're passionate about that. And the best way we know to do that is through giving you structured power-based interval workouts and training plans. So we do that through an app that we have called trainer road, and you can download that app and then you use it. And you just tick off those workouts one by one as you go through. And the training plans are all designed to take you to peak fitness, but they're adjusted to your fitness level so that you're always working just hard enough to get there. So yeah, in, in short, it's, it's a training solution and, and we have a lot of things in works that are kind of make it more or less a top-down training solution to make you faster. Uh, in short, that's really what it is. Um, do you want, uh, I guess some background on, on the company a bit, So then people yeah, can understand. Yeah, awesome. no, that'd be okay. awesome. Okay, cool. So we've been around for about five years. Um, we have about, geez, we're coming up on around 60 employees and we wow. have users in over 150 countries around the world that use the app all the time. And millions and millions of workouts have been done with the app. So. Uh, really the, the whole, the impetus for the concept was wanting to get faster. Uh, our CEO did Nate Pearson, and he was attending these indoor cycling studio classes that had compu trainers and, and they were guided by this guy named coach Chad. And Nate was (laughs) strapped with, you know, just coming out of college. He was working at a fortune 500 company as a software engineer, um, newly married with kids and just like super busy. And he was like, man, this is expensive every day to go to this. And also it's really time demanding for me to do it. I bet I could build something like this. And really the drive was still there to be faster, but he just had to find out how to get faster within his, the context of his life. And. Now, uh, we're taking that same concept of getting faster and we're stretching it as far as we can for as long as we can. We think that we can really make a difference there for people in terms of their training. So. That is so cool. That's wow. awesome. That, that's that's super cool.
0: cool. I didn't know that story. I've known you guys for so many years and I consider you are all friends at this point. I I didn't even know that story, so that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, I should say that to
1: Coach Chad, the guy that was leading the computer trainer classes. He ended up actually uh he ended up joining up with Nate and left that <laughs> left his indoor studios and and the coaching <laughs> clients and everything else he had because and if you think about it in one respect, he's probably the most prolific coach in the world cuz like, you know, I don't know any other coach that's had their workouts done, you know, millions and millions and millions of
0: times. So no. it's, uh, it's pretty, awesome. that's very true. Yeah. So. And now he's got that sweet corner office up in Reno. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. I've seen he, has it. A, <laughs> he has a pillow with his own face on. It's pretty cool. He does, so, yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Um, so for people that are interested in getting started with trainer road, what do they need from uh, an equipment perspective? I'm assuming there's probably like a base level. Like if I have a bike, uh, there may be like a medium level and then like your, your top end level. Like if I have a power meter, a heart rate monitor, wh- what do I need to get started? And, and then what is the ultimate? Like if you could give three examples for people interested in using trainer road.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing you need is, so I, I guess let's start at the bottom. Let's say you don't have a power meter. You don't have one of these fancy new smart trainers. Yep. So instead, what you just have is your bicycle and all you have to do is just get a speed sensor. And if you buy that speed sensor, you can use something that we call virtual power and virtual power gives you all the benefits of training with power, but you don't have the costs associated with it because all you have to do is pair that speed sensor to our app, and then we estimate your power. So that's kind of the base level. So all you really need for trainer road is a bicycle, a trainer, and a speed sensor at the bottom level. But if you want to step that up, you can use a power meter instead of that, instead of virtual power. And then you'll be getting precise, um, you know, consistent data when you're inside or outside and it's data you can use all over the place. Yep. And then if you want to step it up even further than that, you can get a smart trainer and that smart trainer will pair to train a road, and then we'll adjust the resistance of your smart trainer. So you're always hitting your power targets with precision. Wow. Okay, um, cool. That's. That's the most, uh, I should say these days, it's very common to see most people starting out with a setup like that. However, it's, it's pretty cost prohibitive, you know, like smart trainers (laughs) are around a thousand bucks, a little over usually, there are plenty of smart trainers that aren't at that price point, but it's, I'm not really sure if they're a great deal. Yeah. Um, but if you can get something like a power meter from a company like stages or something else, you know, you can get one for like 400 bucks. And if you have a trainer, you're set, or you could just get a speed sensor for about 50 bucks and and you'd be set. So the three ways to train are virtual power, a power meter or a smart trainer.
0: Very nice. cool. Very cool. Um, how much better would you say trainer road is with a power meter versus your virtual power from like a speed sensor?
1: Yeah, so here's the, the interesting part about that. I, I think that you can actually have the same amount of effectiveness in your workouts. Um, so I guess going into how a power meter works. So like the reason a power meter is so great is because it measures exact work. Like it measures the work that your legs are doing just like a generator would almost, but the way that it does that is it measures how hard you're pressing on those pedals and how quickly you're spinning them. And the function of those two things is your power. So it, what we do with virtual power is we basically look at your speed sensor. We take the speed data, and then we have a database of a bunch of different trainers and we call the power, we call it the power curve of those trainers. Yep. So we know basically how much power you need to put out to spin that trainer at a given speed. Okay. And then we just use that table to then calculate or estimate your power. Yep. So like, there are a few variables with that. You want to make sure that your tire pressure is consistent every day. You want to make sure that the pressure from from your roller to your tire is consistent every day. And then you want to make sure that like drivetrain loss, you know, so like a efficiency loss, so like if you're, you know, if you haven't ridden your bike in a year and a half and the thing has just a rusty <laughs> chain and it's nasty, that's going to affect things as well. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, so if you control those variables, you still get consistent data and with a power meter, that is the important thing, just like it is with virtual power with a smart turn into the same thing really how my power meter reads compared to your power meter is not as important as how my power meter reads on Monday being the same as it reads on Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's,
0: that's, that's cool. We've been doing a lot of uh, R and D here lately. And a lot of the stuff we've been looking at with specific rolling resistance and the importance of tire pressure. And so to hear you say that, like if you have a consistent tire pressure on Monday and Thursday for your workouts, that makes a ton of sense because, you know, it's going to keep things consistent for you. So that's, that's good. And that's good advice. Thanks. Absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. okay. So some guys, there's other methods of training. A lot of people talk about heart rate training and I know, I know Maffetone training is this really Mm -hmm. popular one where basically you take 180 minus your age and you want to do as much training as you can at that, that new heart rate number or right below it. Is there any way to use heart rate as a measure of intensity at trainer road or basically to, to limit your intensity? At, at trainer road.
1: Yeah. So this is a, we actually just produced a video on this exact subject, a round table discussion, because it's one that does have a lot of confusion surrounding it In most cases, if we start to get into structured training, it seems like we start with heart rate, right? Uh, yeah, right. it's more approachable in the sense that it's not as cost prohibitive, but then it's also more ubiquitous. So it's, it's easy to find information. It's easy to buy a heart rate monitor. It's easier to learn how to use one in some respects. Uh, but the difficulty is heart rate itself can be really problematic in terms of what it tells you about how hard you're working in the moment. Okay. Right? So uh, I usually t- say heart rate is a lagging indicator of effort, whereas power is, it, or I should say, I'm going to rephrase that. Heart rate is a subjective lagging indicator okay. of effort, <laughs> yep. whereas power is an objective measure of work. So I'll go through those one at a time. So objective versus subjective. Heart rate is subjective in the sense that really it's, it's going to be fluctuated. The re- the data that you get is purely dependent on, or I shouldn't say purely dependent, but it's very heavily influenced by sleep levels, by elevation, by hydration, by rest, by yeah. hormonal balances, by stress that comes in all aspects of, of life by how many cups of coffee you had that day to other aspects of nutrition. Uh, so many different things. Um, you know, we, I shared an example in this video, but, uh, uh, I coached a junior team, uh, geez, uh, two years ago, and one of them was on the line of the Sea Otter Classic, which Sea Otter is a big event, and he was super nervous and he was looking at his heart rate and he was already in zone four and they hadn't even started the race. Right? <laughs> I, I saw it so on the video. I laughed so hard. He's, he's <laughs> just so excited, right? So if he was going off of that, he'd be like, I need to back it down because I can't sustain zone four for this two hour race, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. so th- that's like a, an example of it. But Really the tricky thing is, uh, that's really subjective heart rate. So you kind of have to carry a grain of salt with you, but it's not even the same grain of salt every day, right? It changes. So it, it yeah. gets kind of tough to read through that. Um, and in, in the case of power, it's very objective. It's how hard you press on the pedals and how quickly you spin them over. As long as the calibration is good on your power meter, which every day you do like a zero, a re-zeroing of your power meter every right. time before you ride. And then hopefully it comes calibrated from the factory. And it's very rare now that, that, that good power meters go out of calibration. So, yeah. but if it does, you just send it to the manufacturer, but just the same, uh, that's where they really differ in that respect, but then let's get into the the lagging. Or immediate part. Okay. And it's so let's say that you have, you know, three minute VO2 max intervals, right? So right. you're going to be riding three minutes at a high intensity, and then you're going to be resting three minutes at like 40% of your threshold. So something right. pretty yep. easy. Those right? are
0: so fun, those
1: intervals. <laughs>
0: yes. We love yeah. them. Don't we?
1: <laughs> um, so when you start those ones, your heart rate is going to take some time to pick up. Your power, if you were to graph your power and you're using power, it'll look like a, a bar graph. You can make it very precise. As soon as you start pressing on those pedals, it's measured and indicated in your power data, right? Yep. But with your heart rate, a lot of the time what people do is if they say, okay, I've got a three minute interval, so I'm going to pick it up and my heart rate, I'm going to go until my heart rate gets to zone X or within a certain range or a specific number. And when you do that, you usually end up working way too hard in the beginning because you're really trying to drag that heart rate up quickly. And then once it gets up there, you're like, whoa, 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 I need to back it down. So then you end up riding at a lesser intensity. So whereas if you're using a power meter, that interval, the work you're doing will be very precise with a heart rate monitor. It'll actually be kind of like a rounded line, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That makes total sense. So it's pretty tough to actually do your interval workout that way, right? So So that's where another spot where, where power is, is better in this case. But something else that happens as you go throughout your workout is your heart rate will, will drift upward. Usually, um, I'm not talking about decoupling necessarily because we're just talking about going across a whole workout, Yeah. but your heart rate usually does. So if you know you have an hour and a half, 90 minutes of, of intervals scheduled, and if you're to go off of heart rate, you'd be working substantially less, you know, you would not be working as hard on the final interval as you would be on the first, because your heart rate is more elevated usually at that point. Yeah. So. It's pretty difficult. And then of course is it's not measuring your heart rate. Isn't measuring the work that's going into your bike. That's, that's pushing you down the road. Okay, yep. In fact, it isn't even measuring cardiac output. If you think about it, what it's measuring is just your heart rate. It isn't measuring stroke volume. And those two things work together to define your cardiac output. So like some people, for example, um, I know somebody who has like a little hummingbird heart and he beats (laughs) at like 220 is like his max, right? right? Right. Really high. Um, he does happen to be a good athlete, but it's not because of his high heart rate. Uh, Conversely, I've ridden and been dropped by many people that their heart rate, you know, their max is around 150 and and mine might be around 190, but that doesn't mean that they're less fit than I am because it's just, it's not even a direct measure of cardiac output. So I think that, that heart rate can be helpful when you look at it within the context of power. Like you, if you have a baseline that's consistent, that you can rely upon, it can be informative. But even then I still would recommend keeping that grain of salt handy because there are problems with heart rate monitors. They might read a little weird, or, you know, if you look at it a lot of the time, and maybe you had a lot of coffee that day, or you were stressed or, or something else, and you'll look at these workouts and you'll say, man, my heart rate's so high, I need to rest, but really you may not need to rest. You just, you know, you had a lot of caffeine that day, who knows? Totally awesome stuff. Yeah. a Ton of
0: sense. Um mm-hmm. let's let's jump into some coaching philosophy and, and how you guys approach that. Uh cool. I know you've we've mentioned Coach Chad and he he's come into that. So how are the training plans created? Uh and what, what is it that he looks at when he creates a training pl- uh, training plan?
1: Yeah, so I'll do my best to speak for Chad here. Um okay. but keep in mind I'm not Chad. Um yep. but just the same. Uh I'm a certified coach too, so so good. I'm not good. completely. You're at least out of qualified, limit, right? yeah, we're in a good <laughs> yeah. spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not totally out of my element here. But yeah. um <laughs> right. So really the way we look at this is we we're we're heavy on periodization. So we know that that there are certain principles that guide how your body builds strength, whether it's muscular endurance or whether it's aerobic capabilities, anaerobic capabilities, anything else that there are certain principles that, that, that go into play when making a training plan that require you to work at specific intensities for a specific time. And then rest for specific intensities for a specific time. And rest is a, is a loose term that I'm using here. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're sipping my ties on a beach. It just means that maybe the volume or intensity of your work is decreased. If that makes sense. Yeah, hundred yep. percent. So what we do is we try to look at this and and usually what we do is we take those principles and we know how much work you need to do to bring about whatever desired adaptation is, whatever, if that's, you know, for triathlon, for example, if you're an Olympic triathlete or Olympic distance triathlete, you're going to be working at, you know, that 40 K level, right. So yep. we'll be bringing about perhaps a higher intensity than we would be for somebody that's doing, you know, full distance stuff, like, you know, a full, you know, full Ironman. in that case, they're going to be doing something that's going to be uh, lower intensity, but a greater duration. So. Right. We, we take into account the principles that, that define growth. And then we look at the context that the athlete's going through, like what event they're prepping for. And that's really how we lay out our plans, how we start. And then we usually end up building out our plans. And then we test them and we test them and we test them with different athletes. Um, uh, we test them in house as well. Uh, Chad doesn't make these workouts and just make other people suffer. He does them himself. <laughs> and, uh, so we go through all of that process and we refine these plans constantly. Like, I don't think that we'll ever have a situation where it's like, this is our training plan and we're never touching it. We're always refining it because. Yep. We believe that there's always room for improvement. So that's kind of how we, we, that's the process, I guess. Um, but our plans themselves are separated into three sequential phases to make it a little easier to understand how your your fitness is going to trend. Okay. So we usually have you training depending on for, for cycling, it's more straightforward, but for triathlon, we have things varied a little bit more. Yep but you have a base phase you have a build phase and you have a specialty phase and ideally at the end of that specialty phase that's your peak fitness point that's okay. you've reached peak fitness there so and that's
0: honestly that's one of the best parts of what I think trader rope does your layout of your plans from base to build and then specialty is I haven't seen it done anywhere else nearly as good and you can literally I get excited about you know planning my season, just looking at the, the way you guys structure your plans it's amazing, it's so cool hey, you and you and I both yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank I'm like you, which what yeah. am I gonna do you know yeah. <laughs> one one question about the the plans you've you clearly go into a lot of detail, you're always refining them um you have multiple different specialties you know of depending on the the athlete that you are is there um is it a one size fits all approach once you pick what you're looking at? Is there any customization for an athlete, uh, that is a road cyclist or once I pick that road plan, is that what I get?
1: Yeah. So there's, so I guess first off, every workout is structured to your FTP and okay. as long as your FTP is accurate, um, and as long as you're following a good training plan, chances are your FTP will be rising within reason, uh, throughout that, that those three phases. Um, okay. Most specific, most specifically within the build phase, it's pretty rare to see an FTP increase in the specialty phase, because, um, if you can imagine like taking a block of wood and making a knife out of it uh, in the base phase, we're really just kind of taking that block and we're defining (laughs) it. And we're just cutting out that knife roughly in the build phase. We're really getting down to separating the blade from the hilt, And then when we get to the specialty phase, we're we're sharpening that thing, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, We're taking
1: what we already have and we're just refining it. So that's really what the specialty phase is about. So you will see, um, increases across the board and if your FTP is accurate, you, that's, that's the best way to make sure of doing that. Um, but so as far as, so it's personalized in that respect. And then what we do is each plan, we separate into three volumes. So you can either do a low volume one, depending on how much stress you can take and how much time you have, but more importantly, how much stress you can take. So you do a low volume, mid volume and a high volume of each. Yeah, And, um, so the, and that's how people follow through. And then they follow that progression and you can skip from volume to volume. If, if the demands of life shift for you, for example, right. um, you can change things around that way. Um, so that's more or less how people follow through in terms of it being customized further than that, we try to leave, or we try to build up a lot of content, uh, whether it's on our, our, our blog or on our podcast, or, or just through direct interaction with people through our customer support channels we try to provide as much information for people when they need to make a change to that plan. Cause we know life isn't ideal. Right. So, you know, you need yeah. to, to change and, and make those, those shifts. So, you know, we're, we're passionate about making you faster, but we don't want that people to just solely rely on trust with us. Like we want to educate them as well so they can understand right. why it's working. And if they understand why it's working, they'll then understand how to make small adjustments. So, yeah.
0: One of the things that I've so always really heavier. liked about trainer road is you know running a business and and having a life and sometimes you you are limited to time and one of the things you know being able to adjust that week and have it fit you know your schedule mm-hmm. is and you know like you you're saying in the beginning uh Nate was going out to cycling class and and that is <laughs> time consuming just <sighs> to drive there you know. You have a it trainer set up at your house, you just jump on it and do your workout and you're done. It's, it's awesome. And it's already pre- pre-planned out and thought of and you don't have to put much thought into it. So, that's a, that's a very yeah. cool system. Nice. So, when, it, when I'm sure this question could literally be a, a three podcast in itself. So, we, we won't go with that <laughs> level of detail. But… Okay. From when you when it does come to picking a training plan, a lot of what it looks like is you're going to focus on the time you have available and your event discipline. But are there any mm-hmm. other general things that you can tell us based on experience level or previous injury history or anything like that for athletes?
1: Yeah, I'll kind of go through like some basic rules of thumb outlined for common scenarios. So okay. in an ideal world, you start with about 28 weeks, depending on the discipline you're doing, somewhere around 20. Two to 20 or 20 to 28 weeks, uh, depending on the discipline. Once again, uh, that's when you would start your plan and then you'd follow that plan through and it would, everything would be perfect. You'd peak, you'd win and it would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's ideal and that's pretty clear and easy to understand. But let's say you're in a situation where you've just come off of like, uh, you know, you've come off of an event and you're injured, so you need to take some time off and a lot of people ask, you know, whether it's sick or injury, or they just had to take time off for work reasons or or any number of reasons. When that happens, we usually recommend that people just ease their way back into things and start from square one with the base phase instead of jumping back in, because it's, it's, it's kind of tricky. Sometimes You, you go through a whole season of training. And you've, you've peaked for your event and you race Kona or something big like that. And you think, man, I am, I am an athlete and I don't need to go revisit that base phase because I've got an aerobic base built up. Right. But there's so much benefit to going back and revisiting your base phase. And I think a lot of people misunderstand that and they miss out on a lot of benefits they could be getting in terms of muscular endurance, in terms of aerobic capacity, even in terms of just revisiting fundamentals that help you be more efficient on the bike, riding at the lower slightly lower intensities can really be helpful. And in most cases, we're dealing with people that have normal jobs, uh, or yeah. you know there, there are plenty of professional athletes that use Trainer road too. Um, I won't mention any names, but there was yeah. some, uh, <laughs> I know the the, con- the Kona podium looked pretty good this year, so um, yeah. but with with that going on though, these time constraints, we usually try to bring about those aerobic adaptations of base with slightly higher intensities than that traditional low and slow approach where you're just out on the bike for eight or 10 hours or something. And you're just really, you know, riding it zone, two, easy stuff. So there's, you can still bring that about with slightly higher intensity. And if you're injured or coming back off after, after some time off, I, we really recommend usually just going back to base and building your way through, um, Another scenario that we commonly see is like with uh, triathletes specifically, they'll have a situation where they're they're planning. They have one main goal event, but they're going to do another. Like let's say it's a full distance Ironman that they have, but then they have a half beforehand, and they're kind of using that to like you know run through the race plan or the day the 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 day's plans so to speak, and make sure everything works. And when that's the case, we usually recommend that those people you know you build up to that first event. And then you just take that event as just like, you know, take it what for what it is and race with the fitness you have. And then after that, continue with your plan into that, that main event that you're going, that you're preparing for your a race as we usually call it very cool. But if you're really targeting one race and then you have another race that you're also really targeting thereafter, you can plan to peak for that first one. And then thereafter, give yourself a couple weeks of B b training on the bike, but lower intensity stuff, maybe revisit a bit of that base phase or the workouts from earlier in the build phase, and then get back into that specialty phase so that you finish it off again.
0: Nice. Awesome. Okay, so you, you touched on a little bit of this next question, actually, um, in, in what you just said. So uh, I'm going to lead into this with a bit of an explanation. There's, a, there's an old saying, I used to train with uh, Angela Nath quite a bit. And mm-hmm. she used to say, uh, horses for courses. And basically mm-hmm. what that means yep. is certain athletes are built to be sprinters and other athletes are built, you know, more for endurance athletes. So you see the guy, Usain Bolt versus, um, you know, a 10K runner. Um, Mm -hmm. her big belief that was even with training, that some athletes respond better to high intensity training, high intensity training, and then other athletes respond better to lower intensity training. Maybe it's just their makeup or they're prone to injuries. Now, you guys say on on your website that you recommend your higher intensity training program for 99% of athletes. and. I've also heard you guys say that everyone likes to think they're the special flower, meaning that, you know, we are that that (laughs) 1% of athletes. So um, for those of us who believe or have been led to believe that maybe different types of training work for different people, can you speak to that and maybe bust that myth for us?
1: Yeah. So the key thing that I see within what you just said there is that you used respond every time and then you use the word better um and i think that something hmm. that, uh, we, we like, we, our minds are very binary and they work in a, in a sense of, of switches, right? Like, right. um, yeah. like you see this all the time, like the fat burning zone, like you hear that and it's like, once you <laughs> cross that intensity line, you don't burn any more fat, so stay within there. And, and it's, it's bogus. It's, it's not true at all. And if anything, our body is a system of faders, right. And they, they work together and there's overlap and it's a gradient. It's not just a, an off on system, right? Yeah. It's not black. <laughs> yeah. So there's
0: some gray in there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And we could go into the fat burning thing if endlessly. So I won't go into that. But um,
0: <laughs> we got a few more questions. So let's skip that one. Then.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I think that. Uh, so. Probably the best way that I would phrase this for somebody that is wondering Would I work better or would I respond better if I tried this high intensity approach. And I don't, and when I say high intensity, I should put some context on that. We're not talking about doing VO two work, um, specifically within the base phase, there's usually two, you can kind of lump every approach into two different camps, more or less there's the the traditional base and the sweet spot base approach, right? The goal with, with your base phase is to bring about aerobic adaptations usually and to build up your muscular endurance is to bring about efficiency at operating at that level, um, uh, of aerobic, uh, I guess uh, output, I guess you could say, but we're not talking about like building up high-end race fitness. We're not talking about making drastic changes in a power profile or, or anything else like that. We're really laying the, the groundwork. And the main thing we're really chasing is aerobic, aerobic endurance and muscular endurance. So those two things. So when we're chasing those things, you can bring about those aerobic adaptations with higher intensity efforts that are still sub threshold. And it's a power zone that we call the sweet spot zone. And it overlaps a bit between that tempo and threshold zone. You're still sub threshold, but you're darn near threshold. So what ends up happening is that you, you get the benefits that you would get of the, of, of a lot of the, or the aerobic benefits that you would get from traditional base training, but you don't get a lot of the drawbacks that you get from higher intensity training. You sit kind of in this sweet spot, so to speak. And when you do that, um, since you're at a higher intensity, you bring about a lot of those adaptations quicker than you would if you were bringing them about with lower intensity, or I should say there's a trade-off in volume. If you do the traditional approach, you're at a low intensity and you have to do a lot of volume to bring about those adaptations. In most cases we're talking like plus 12 hours a week. And the majority of us don't have 12 hours a week to spin no. on the bike. <laughs> <No>. So and, <laughs> and it, that's not a rule of thumb. And like you said, it'll change for each person. Don't get me wrong, but it, it is safe to generalize and say that if you're going to ride at a lower intensity, you're going to need more volume in order to bring out a desired adaptation. Whereas if you're riding at a higher intensity and we're talking about within reason, we're still sub threshold here, but you're riding at a higher intensity, you can bring about those adaptations with less volume. So, and, and for the majority of racing that we do, even for long, really steady state stuff, even stuff where you're not even going to be riding in your sweet spot zone, like an Ironman, you still get the benefits that end up helping you in that day. So. Yeah. Like, and I think that people should always like our training plans are set out to guide you and we try to give you as much knowledge as possible, but you should always be paying attention to how your body responds. And then you should be making the adjustments where you can to understand that, you know, maybe you understand the fact that, you know what, I don't have enough time, so since I don't have enough time, I'm going to take the sweet spot approach. So yeah, you right. start doing that, but then you realize, man, this is really high intensity for what I'm used to. I'm not going to go with this mid volume plan. Like I started, I'm going to step down to the low volume plan.
0: That's, that's So awesome. I have done that myself. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> we, awesome. yeah, I have too. <laughs> yeah. Let me, yep. uh, let me ask a, a question that I've always kind of been fascinated with, with, with training plans like this is we love to ride our bikes, uh, training mm-hmm. on a trainer is great, but one of the reasons you get a bike is because you want to ride outside. Um, mm-hmm. there's nothing quite like riding outside. So how does the the workouts that I'm doing on a trainer, how do they mm-hmm. blend with my, with my rides on the road? Can I transfer that information you know, that information back into it? How does that all blend together? So we've got some exciting stuff on the way with this. So I'm going to
1: have to like bite my tongue on a lot of this. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, I can totally answer this because all of us feel like, um, I think that a lot of people might think of us as like these guys that just enjoy riding bikes on the trainer and you could not <laughs> be further from the truth. Um, yeah. we, we love riding bikes for the same reasons you ride, like riding bikes. Exactly. We, and we don't hate the trainer. And I see a lot of people, you know, oh, this is terrible riding the trainer. We don't see that at all. Like, I think that if you see the trainer as a plan B for bad weather, then you'll always hate it because it's a plan B for something that that's, that's very unfortunate, (laughs) it's just bad weather. So that I don't think that's the way to look at it. And I don't think that it's honestly a good plan B for that, because it's not satisfying what you want. If you want to ride outside, Exactly right? Like a plan B that, that checks the boxes, but you know, kind of satisfies the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law, isn't a good plan B. But in this case, for us, we see the trainer as a plan a for the best workout. And and it's best to keep your structured interval work done with precision. So do it where it belongs best and then get outside and work on number one, enjoying the ride, if that's what you want, work right. on skills, work on positioning, work on, you know, refining the technique, testing out that new aero helmet, you have a new position on the bike. Um, you know, I'm, I'm primarily a mountain biker. So for me, I get my structured work done in anywhere from 45 to 90 minutes, usually on the trainer, and then I'll get outside and I'll go and ride outside and nice. that way. I'm not the guy on the trail that's yelling, you know, that that's saying I'm in the middle of an interval out of my way. Um, that was, <laughs> nobody should ever do that. Um, you aren't that, and then that way you aren't pushing really hard on the trail, you aren't interrupted by features on the trail or transitioning this to the road, you aren't interrupted by traffic, traffic lights, you yep. aren't, uh, suddenly the road has a turn, so you have to ease off. And I think that a lot of us, when we ride outside and we do an interval work, work out outside. We think, oh, it's okay. You know, I'm doing a 20 minute sweet spot interval right now. And I know that I should just keep it steady on the pedals right now, but I'm going to do this loop and there's a stop sign every lap, but it's fine. That little break, it can be beneficial if you really do need that break, but otherwise I really do think that it's those small little things and not giving yourself that, that wiggle room that pays off on race day. Like it's, it's really. It's not giving yourself that easy out. And I think that you're forced into that situation so often when you're outside. So for for all of us here, we like to get our interval work done inside where it's done best. So then we can yeah. get outside and actually reap the benefits of, of what we're building when we're inside.
0: That's a really interesting so, way to look at it. Like you're saying, like you look at it, like do your, you know, it's not a plan B, it's a plan A. And I think that makes sense. And I think one of the most interesting things you've said in, in this on this question is you have some really exciting things coming. So we're very excited to yeah. see that when that happens. So one real quick thing. What about the super type A people like myself who have the three <laughs> trainer road workouts a week? And you don't want to ride outside because you don't want to screw up your trainer road system. (laughs) Do you recommend adding an extra ride to go on the road or just cut one of them, go enjoy cycling? Because that's why we got into it in the first place. So it totally depends on how much training stress you can
1: take. And if you're new, you probably won't know that. But with power, you can quantify the training stress that you're piling onto your body when you work out. And remember that you get faster, not when you pile stress onto your body, but when you absorb that stress and the way you absorb that stress is through proper recovery. So the way to find out how much stress you can maintain is by training and then trying your best to recover within the normal constraints of your life. And then seeing how you feel as you progress through a training plan nice. and there will be signs, you know, you will be extremely tired and you will not be able to finish your workouts without turning the intensity down or skipping an interval or backpedaling in the middle of an interval, something like that. Um, those in many cases can be a sign of inadequate recovery. Okay. So yeah. that inadequate recovery is either inadequate because you did not do your best to recover. Maybe you were calling it recovery, but you were sitting at your computer desk the whole time. And you know, stressing your brain out constantly with work, or you called it recovery because you went to Disneyland with your kids, and that's like the most that's like a marathon in itself <laughs> that's stressful, um, yeah <laughs> yeah, okay, so if that's inadequate recovery, then it doesn't really matter how much work you're doing if you're not adequately recovering, not putting in high quality recovery, then you're not going to be able to add more stress, okay. and you won't be getting faster. So I guess that the, the direct answer with that is if you want to ride outside and add in supplemental rides to your training plan, totally. Yeah. Do it. Um, that's something that I do pretty regularly on the weekends. I'll usually get my work done in terms of the structured interval work, and then I'll get outside. Um, but at the same time, I always ask myself, you know, if I really want to get faster, shouldn't I be just doing structured work though? So it's kind of this balance that I try to follow in my mind where it's like, you know, emotionally, I feel that I get a benefit from getting out on the trails up in the high Sierra here and getting lost and and loving that. But at the same time, that may not be the best use of my time to get faster. But then again, if I was just training and just doing structured interval work, maybe I would get emotionally burnt out, you know, so it's, it's a balance that you have to ride. So, Um, but it's certainly not
0: verboten. So what we've concluded is you're type A like me. Yes, 100%. Yeah. All right. So um, let's shift gears to FTP. Um, My understanding of FTP is that it's it's your functional threshold power, which is your theoretical maximum power, average power that you can hold for an hour. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah. Emphasis on theoretical in most cases. And the reason that I would say (laughs) that is because... So much goes into maintaining, I mean, look at the hour record. That's a common, and, and if anybody's in the 40 KTT, you're about that too. Yep. Um, right. But look at the hour record and how the guys ride with that. In almost every case of the hour record, the, the best cyclists in the world, Bradley Wiggins, um, Jens Vogt, all, all the guys, Thomas Decker, they have not been able to ride at their FTP in every case for that hour
0: right?
1: because there's more that goes into it than just, you know, pushing power through the pedals. I think that psychologically dealing with that level of suffering for that oh, long dude, is yeah. very, very difficult. And I think that we are, um, that, I think that we limit ourselves there in the sense that Even though we may technically have the physical capabilities, the mind is a governor and a lot of the times we end up limiting ourselves. So, um, so there's a lot of debate around FTP, especially these days in the sense that it's coming under scrutiny because people say, well, it isn't your hour power and and, in, 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 in reality, it, in almost positive or at almost, in almost every situation, it isn't your hour power. I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's darn near. Um, unfulfilled, I should say. So it, 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 yeah, you could tie it into being analogous to that, but really what we're trying to find is your lactate threshold in terms of power, whether you can ride at that lactate threshold for an hour is one thing, but that's what we're really looking at. And then that's used to then structure your power zones. So then we can know where you need to work out to bring about specific adaptations. Perfect. Very cool. So, something with power zones really quick that I feel like a lot of people don't understand. And once again, this isn't a light switch thing. These are faders, right? But (laughs) specific things happen to your body when you are riding at a specific intensity. So it's, it's not as if like, you know, I can, I can ride around at 15 miles an hour and I'm good at riding at 15 miles an hour. And then I ride at 20 miles an hour. And you know, all it is, is the same thing. I'm just a little faster with power. We know what's actually going on in your body to make that power happen. And we know that that changes and shifts and it relies on different energy systems or a different muscular recruitment or plenty of different things that happen as you increase that intensity. So it's, uh, those power zones are really important for that reason, because we know specific things happen at different parts of those power zones. So when we're laying out a training plan, we know, okay, we need to bring about this adaptation. So we need to have him spending X amount of time at this intensity.
0: Okay. Very cool. Very, very cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So when, as an athlete, when you're testing your FTP, you guys have two options. You have a two by eight. So you have to hold the highest average power you can for eight minutes twice with Mm -hmm. a 10 minute break in between. And then you have the one by 20. Mm -hmm. When an athlete is getting ready for one of those tests, how do you have the perfect test i've I've been doing your two by eights and i've ridden a bike for quite a few years i've been off the bike for a bit, but i've gotten back into it recently and i'm always on this fence kind of with okay, if I hold three hundred and forty watts for eight minutes, I can probably make it, but i'm mm-hmm. wondering if I could do three forty five so mm-hmm. I go to the 3.45 and I just blow up at six minutes on the <laughs> yep. second effort, right? And like yep. I literally the last test I did, I, I averaged, I went 3.50. And I did the first one, I cruised it, I, I felt great. I did the second one and literally five minutes and 30 seconds in, I completely shut down. I almost passed out, my <laughs> body just stopped. I waited 30 seconds and I, I held it again. So like I screwed that test up, but how mm. do we as athletes get, because you want to have the highest number, so you're getting the maximum gain. So what do we do to get the perfect test and hold that perfect number? It's so tough to do.
1: Yeah. And that's another point of conflict that we are constantly dealing with. And we're actually testing out some, some, once again, things I probably can't say, but we're testing out some new (laughs) testing methods on here because we want to help more people have a better test. So, uh, uh, things that make a good FTP test, and then, and then we'll see at the end, um, how this can be somewhat difficult for people, but it's certainly achievable. Um, these are, these are sustained efforts that you're going for. And basically the point of like a sustained effort FTP test is that we have you riding at a specific intensity, or I shouldn't say that we have you riding for a specific duration at whatever intensity you can maintain. Right. Right. And the goal is to have a consistently paced effort. So you brought up the, the two by eight. So it's, we basically have two eight minute intervals that you do. And we take the average, um, of those intervals and then we're able to find out what your FTP is, but. I think a lot of people, when they start out, they think, all right, it's a testing interval, it's time to jam on these pedals. So they, they start pedaling like they're, they're, you know, cav in, in the middle of a sprint and they're pushing super hard and then their workout. Usually you look at it and a lot of people, they spike up really high and then it starts to go back down. And that's a bad test because you aren't trying to find your sustainable power for eight minutes. We don't need to know how hard you compress on the pedals period. What we're curious to find and what we're aiming for during that test is how, what is your eight minute, best power, not your one minute, best power, (laughs) your eight minute best. So learning to pace that can be difficult. And I think the best thing that we do, so we have workout text with those, with those workouts, and if you read that workout text, it should help walk you through. If you take it in small chunks and you basically say, okay, try to settle in at something you feel like you can maintain for two minutes and or maintain for eight minutes. And then after the first two minutes, we ask, can you pick it up or should you drop it back? You know, and you kind of run through that system after, you know, the, the first interval, you'll have an idea of where you sit. you'll also be probably in in a lot of pain, but uh, you'll have an idea of where you sit and then Yeah, it's amazing in those 10 minutes between those intervals, you can really rest and recover. It doesn't take a whole lot to recover from an eight minute effort like that. And then you can go back in and do it again. But the key things that we're looking at with it, whether it's the two by eight or the 20, we are looking at getting what your sustainable power is. So things that you need to do, you need to make sure that you have the same setup day to day. So let's say that you take an FTP test in winter in your garage, and then you do it in summer in your garage and in winter, it's like 30 degrees in your garage. And in the summer it's a hundred degrees in your garage. That is going to make the test substantially different. And something that people completely underestimate all the time when they're training inside is the effect of cooling on your body and the power output that you then do. Um, when you're riding outside and sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, but it'll, it'll help explain. Hopefully sure. Yeah, sure. yeah, for sure when you're riding outside you have you you have air moving over every square inch of your body right yep. yes. you may have it covered with fabric but it's still getting an evaporative cooling effect um so it's 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 helpful whereas with a fan inside you can have a super powerful beam of air but in most cases it's tr- concentrated toward our our face and our chest because that's where we perceive hotness the most right it's right, kind right. of funny like honestly w- we should put it over you know a different part of our body if it cooled off more, more surface area yeah. In our minds, we think, "Oh, my face is hot. I'm blowing up." Um, we're we're funny creatures that way. But
0: yeah, <laughs> the
1: the goal is, I mean, when you're inside, keep the circumstances the same, and do absolutely everything you can to cool off as much as possible. Because even if you you need like we have really powerful fans all in, in the office here, Lasko Performance Series fans, yeah, okay. and like two of those on me when I'm working out is ideal. But it's still not the same cooling effect that I get outside, even on a warm day outside. Because on that warm day, once again, you have air moving over your body, helping with an evaporative cooling effect. Whereas inside, you you don't have that. So you want to replicate circumstances, have the same tire pressure if you're using Virtual Power or normal trainer, yeah, or you know, be, be in a similar gear, same thing. And then you really have to learn to just pace yourself and not be too over exuberant in the beginning, but also not save it. And the, I guess the, the ways that I could say, if you do, uh, whatever, if it's 20 minutes or eight minutes, you do that interval and it looks like in the graph of your power, looks like a subtle smile. And I mean, really subtle, <laughs> if not flat, but just very subtle dip, maybe in the center, yep. then that's good. If you I've, see it pick up at the end, you've left too much on the table. If you went out too hard and it drops down, that's not good
0: either. Okay. I've always uh I've always gotten a kick out of FTP tests. You you see people that will will go do an FTP test and they want that big maximum number. And so it's like regular life stops. And it's like almost they'll like sleep dope. So they get more rest than they normally get. They eat better than they normally get. <laughs> they they stop everything and then they go out and they like peak for this for this FTP right. test and I'm like that's not reality right. so what you're saying makes a lot of sense like let's just keep it normal let's be realistic here and let's get a number that is my would be a day to day number so I, I think that's pretty, in, that's pretty awesome yeah and in saying that really leading into an FTP test you want to kind of have your lifestyle the sleep the rest the recovery yeah. you have everything else the same as well that's awesome yes. um yeah yeah
1: very cool. And and remember too, uh, with FTP, something with FTP that people should remember too, is yes, it's a good measure of fitness, but it doesn't, doesn't indicate exactly your performance on race day. Like it's what FTP is really valuable for us to do is to be able to structure your work effectively. It also is a good way. Yes. Like I said, to keep track of, of your improvements in fitness, but just because your FTP has gone up, doesn't mean that you can race, you know, without your head on your shoulders. Um, Just because your FTP is raised doesn't mean that you can let your, your nutritional plan go by or your pacing plan go out the window, especially when you're dealing with things like draft legal triathlon or road racing or mountain biking, where it's really tactical, you know, your FTP going up is good, but don't base your whole entire uh, whole entire you know, ego and self-confidence based off your FTP. Exactly. Uh, I see, like you said, you know, people like tapering for an FTP test is crazy because (laughs) what you're doing there is, is your priorities have shifted. Your goal should be being faster on the bike and you should stick to the plan. And you should follow through and do the structure or do the, the scheduled tests and just carry on through, but don't, you shouldn't let that define how uh, I should say, define you as an athlete. It's awesome. not, uh, that's not the okay. defining okay. characteristic. Uh,
0: real, real quick. If, if you do screw it up, you just wait a couple of days and do it again, or.
1: Yeah. 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 That's the best approach. And, and don't be afraid of FTP testing. Um, you know, like oh, yeah. I said, we're testing for, <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's easy to be that way. And I totally get it because I'm, I, I, you know, while I say that, I also admit that I'm, you know, I'm afraid of that because I, I put too much stock into it in terms of what it says about me as a per as an athlete. Right. Yeah. And I shouldn't do that. But I think that if you aren't afraid of FTP testing and you screw one up, then you'll be okay with going back and doing it again in a couple of days. Just, you know, it's, and even if it's like you screwed up the first one and you bailed on the second, then go ahead and try it the next day. As long as you're recovered. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not too tough. Okay. Awesome.
0: Um, all right. So we have a few additional questions. Some have come in from users on social media, and some just were additional questions that we had. Uh, I think it was through email that people were writing in. So um, we can keep these pretty pretty basic, right? We're going to try and keep this about an hour. So we've got a couple more things. Um, awesome. But basically, um, so for people who have a, an extra long period of time between their next event Do they just stay in base and do extra base training before they get to their build and specialty? Can you do too much base training is basically the idea.
1: Okay. So I do think that you'll see a point of diminishing returns if you do the same type of training for an extended period of time. Your training should always be progressing in one direction or another to a certain extent. And hopefully okay. it's going up when it needs to be going up and, and then you give yourself the downturns to be able to absorb that work uh, when that needs to happen. So yeah, you can totally do too much if that's all you're doing. But that said, i, I rarely see that being the problem okay. in most cases, people are rushing ahead. Um, but in the context of having like time between two events, this is a super variable question and it's when we get
0: literally hundreds, uh, of these questions a week, (laughs) um, so you're welcome for me asking it again. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but the, the, and I know why it's because it's, it's individual and it's variable and it's complex. So I I totally get it. Um, so here's the deal. I'll, I'll just lay out a few like scenarios. If you have, let's say, uh. Let's just say you have two months in between one big event and another big event. If that's the case, then I would just do a couple weeks of easy stuff. So pick out like the workouts from your recovery week, for example, and do those for a week, maybe two weeks if you really need it. Yep. And then I would jump back in to your build phase or your specialty phase, depending on what you need. And when I say what you need, try to pay attention to your, to, to your body and then understand your performance. So like, let's say you go into that first event and you did extremely well, and you feel like you did everything that you needed to all boxes were checked. If that's the case, then I would actually revisit that build phase for a bit and then then, you know, maybe you do three weeks, four weeks in the build phase after that one week of easy stuff. And then I would finish off the final part of that specialty plan. And the the reason that I say that is because then if you did everything correctly the first time, then maybe just try to push things up a little higher with those really tough workouts in the build phase. But on the other side, if you haven't, if you feel like you just were not, um, let's say that you feel like. You just weren't able to respond on race day to moves that you needed to do or or you're just lacking the sharpness you needed then i would just focus on completing that specialty phase once again to refine yourself further okay
0: very cool the athletes who focus on maybe only one or two key events a year if if a a typical base build specialty is 28 weeks let's say Mm -hmm. uh if you've got 40 weeks what do you do for those additional 12 weeks is it just more base or what do you what would you say there
1: Yeah. I usually recommend that people, um, once again, they pay attention to their needs and what they need to do in order to be prepared for that specific event. Uh, but I would say that repeating, you know, half of your base phase isn't necessarily a bad idea, but doing more than that is probably not necessary. If you need to add on more time, usually what I would do is I would recommend taking either in your build phase it's pretty tough to extend the work weeks in your build phase because yeah. they're really hard
0: yes right but
1: in the specialty phase what you might be able to do is you might be able to repeat the final two weeks of your specialty phase to drag it out for you know three to four weeks something like that you awesome. just really have to keep your eye on recovery if you do that
0: cool okay and then we have this uh this is this one came in this morning on facebook you guys have your uh, upcoming 40k tt that you guys are doing <laughs> when is that by the way yeah
1: Uh, it's at the very end of May. I think it's May 26th.
0: All right. I don't know who's, where's the race?
1: It's going to be the uh, Northern California and Northern Nevada state championships that happen in our region up here. So it'll be in Loyalton, California. It's a certified course. It happens at about 5,000 feet. It's extremely fast. However, it's not as, and the, the previous one that was in the same valley, but not on the same roads was actually known as being one of the fastest courses on earth for 40 KTTs because it's wow. a good balance of temperature and elevation to be able to drop the air density, all that stuff and dry air, that, that type of thing. But in this case, they've moved it and it is a slower course, but not substantially. So.
0: Okay. So the guy, the question that came in based on that race is, uh, Mm -hmm. what equipment will you guys be using, particularly tires and skin suits?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. So, um, we're actually, uh, I'm, I'm hopping on a plane early tomorrow morning, and we're going to go get some, uh, a bike fit with, uh, Dan Emfield for myself and Nate, our CEO, okay. and we're going to then decide based on our bike fits. We're, we're kind of, we're not saying here's my bike and fit it to me. We're going to get the ideal bike fit. And then from there, we are going to decide which bikes are ideal for that. So, um, okay. and then we're going to move forward with getting those bikes based off of that. Um, and then in terms of the equipment's pretty straightforward. So at this point. Um, some companies are waiting to release some stuff. And if it comes out in time, maybe, but otherwise we're going to be using no, using no pins, skin suits. And I think these ones are actually, they might be made by bio racer, but um, okay. no pin skin suits uh, the numbers, the, the little number clear pocket on the back. And they have the trip suits. So like the. The seams are made to be able to, to trip air in specific spots to be able to make you more efficient. And in terms of tires, we don't know yet because we don't know exactly what wheels we're going to be on, but we think we do. And we, so we don't know yet.
0: Um, well, keep listening to this podcast. We may have some tire tips for you. Um, <laughs> that's, a,
1: that's what I'm saying. You guys would know better yeah, than yeah, us. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So what we're, every episode that we do on this show, we want to... Assign it a value, basically, and we're calling it watt points. So, oh, nice. for, the, okay. for the listeners who listen to this podcast or, or preview it, basically, they get an idea of how many watt points listening to this episode will gain them. Ooh. So, okay, on average, uh, a TrainerRoad user throughout a season will gain. Mm. How many watts on their FTP? Now I know that depends upon if you're a new athlete versus an experienced athlete, but maybe you can give mm-hmm. us two, two a range. So most athletes, a full season of Trainer Road will gain how many watts by using your system?
1: I'm probably going to leave people dissatisfied here because I'm going to give you a very conditional answer. Um, so <laughs> in in this, we see new, like you said, new athletes see a huge increase. Uh, athletes and, and a lot of that actually, I think comes down to testing. They learn to test better as they progress. And in the beginning, they may not test very well. Okay. So in terms of their actual FTP increase, it's still not uncommon to see new athletes coming in to get like, you know, 25% more than that, you know, more than 25%. Uh, that's pretty normal to see where a person like me, I'm fighting for like 3% gains, 2% gains a year. Yeah. Right. So yeah. right. it's, it's kind of tricky. Um, but you know, if you were to just come out and ask me, I'd say whatever your wildest dreams are, that's what you can get. So, <laughs> so on average, we could <laughs> say some guys are
0: going to get, you know, anywhere from 10 to 40 Watts a season. Maybe. Is that a fair thing based on your level?
1: Oh, oh yeah. And, and even in just the fluctuation and downturns that you get. So like, let's say you finish your peak event and then you take a bit of an off season, then you come back in uh if you measure it then compared to where you're going to be at yeah for most people i mean for myself included i'll have like a 20 30 heck even like a if i can this year i'm going to try for a 40 watt swing right but in terms of like my previous best i'm still chasing small percentages of improvement to where i've been before but yeah, if you start from scratch and go up, I would definitely expect to see a percentage or a watt increases of even higher than that um, across oh, a lot of people. Very cool. All right, so
0: we'll, we'll give the users maybe a 10 to 50 watt range depending nice. on where they are. Is that fair? Cool.
1: Yeah, I awesome. think that's fair. Okay. That's good.
0: <laughs> All right, so uh, the cool thing about what you guys do and a lot of the stuff we talked about today is is challenging. It's it's hard. I've, I've raced for years and it was you obsess about your training plan. You're like, okay, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? What, what can I do better? And the coolest thing about your software and what I really love about it is you don't have to think of any of it. You literally just get on your bike, start the next workout, and it's all done for you. So, um, Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. We absolutely love the product. We still use it. And uh, this has been great for the users. So, thank you very, very much. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited to listen to these episodes. All right, take care. Excellent. Enjoy that winter weather. Thanks, guys. All right, take care. Hey, this is Chris with Flow. When we're not producing this podcast, our team at Flow is designing some of the fastest carbon fiber bicycle wheels in the world. As a thank you for being a listener of our podcast, Faster by Flow, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase of wheels at flowcycling.com. Head over to our website and pick up a set of wheels to make you faster at your next race or ride. Simply use coupon code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T in all uppercase letters when checking out to get 20% off your order. Thanks again for listening to Faster. We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to listen to episode two, where we interview coach Mike Schultz to learn about strength training and how working with a personal endurance coach can help you become a faster cyclist. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by sharing our podcast and by leaving a rating or review. If you want to learn more about our company, Flow Cycling, please visit us online at flowcycling.com. That's F as in Frank, L-O-C-Y-C-L-I-N-G.com. You can also find us under Flow Cycling on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, ride safe.